Welcome to the Brown Bag Parenting Webinar. I am your host, Fadia Amin, and this webinar unpacks modern parenting and empowers caregivers with the parenting skills that enhance child and family well-being. Just to tell you a little bit about myself, I am the family and consumer science educator with Delaware State University's Cooperative Extension. I am also a proud wife and a proud mother to an adorable 21-month-old son. I'm currently pursuing a master's in public administration and fingers crossed, I'll be completing my degree and graduating next year. During today's podcast, we're going to talk about how families can manage well-being during COVID-19. And later, we will be joined by a special guest who will talk to us about homeschooling. So let's get started. I know as families deal with sheltering in place, working from home, and economic uncertainty, there is no doubt that we are all feeling generally out of sorts. The global pandemic, coupled with an unknown future, has many of us feeling like we're living in an alternate reality. It still boggles my mind going to the grocery store, going to the grocery store and having to wear a mask. During these high stress times, however, it is easy to succumb to anxiety and depression. And although I'm able to work from home, and I'm fortunate to live a middle-class lifestyle, I too have experienced feelings of frustration and overwhelm. When these feelings well up inside of me, I take a few deep breaths and I say, Akuna Matata. Although made famous by Disney's Lion King, Akuna Matata in Swahili means no troubles or no worries. And I'm going to go over seven quick and easy tips that you can implement in your family in order to worry less and learn how to enjoy life under lockdown. The first tip is practicing gratitude. Every morning, I start the day by counting my blessings and saying aloud the things for which I am grateful. It includes obvious things like my health, my family, having food and shelter, to smaller things like having a good laugh with my friends during a Zoom meeting, being able to spend time with my son, and not having to rush to and from work each day. In her research on the science of gratitude, Dr. Summer Allen writes, gratitude may combat the negative emotional processes that underpin unhappiness, burnout, and many psychological disorders. While counting my blessings is my preferred method, there are numerous ways that one can document their gratitude. Some people keep a gratitude journal, and I've also read about the Daily Dozen Worksheet. For me, practicing gratitude in the AM sets the tone for the day, and when I become stressed later, 
I can always reflect upon the things for which I am grateful. Number two, the importance of establishing a family routine. Even in this crisis, with many of us not leaving our homes, it is important to maintain your daily routine Monday through Friday. Global health expert Chris Underhill writes that by implementing the same practices as you would on any other day before the crisis, waking up at the same time, making your bed, um, preparing your children's breakfast, showering, shaving, these things are vitally important because they help your children to maintain a semblance of normalcy, which does provide comfort. While we cannot help or control what's happening in the outside world, we certainly have control inside of our homes. For school-age children, a daily routine is important because it ensures they're staying up on their schoolwork and assignments. Research, research suggests a simple rule for figuring out how long children can stay focused. Simply multiply, multiply the child's age by two to five minutes. So if a child is four years old, he or she will be able to focus for 18 to 20 minutes maximum. Parents, once you determine your child's attention span, create a school routine based on that number. Also, don't be afraid to, to speak with your child's teachers, ask for extra Zoom meetings if necessary, consult with other parents and other family members in order for you to determine the best practices for your family. Number three, planning healthy meals. This is my favorite. As we all know, diet is key to maintaining good physical and mental health. And if you're like my family, before COVID, we ate out a lot. However, now I'm cooking more. And rather than finding cooking as a chore or a burden, I'm embracing the opportunity to provide my family with good, wholesome, home-cooked meals. There are a wealth of recipes and cooking classes on the internet, and I have found some meals like Taco Tuesday that have become staples in my home. Also, I think it's important that during mealtime, you ask the whole family to participate. My husband, for instance, has taken it upon himself to now be on cleanup duty. In addition to eating healthy, it's also important to make sure that your family is drinking enough water each day. Number four, for me, this is the hardest, committing to exercise. If you're like me, most of the days are spent in front of a computer, a phone, or the television. And unfortunately, exercise is at the bottom of my to-do list. However, I know that when I do exercise, the benefits outweigh the cost. 
I've tried exercising on the stairs, revving up my household chores, having a dance party with my son, with my son, or even getting outside now that the weather is getting warmer. No matter what you do, commit to getting your heart rate up for at least 30 minutes each day. Number five, maintaining social connections virtually. Despite the negative circumstances, this is the perfect time to connect with family and friends via FaceTime, Zoom, Google Hangouts, or WhatsApp. As humans, we have an inherent desire to belong and to connect with others. And even during these perilous times, it is of utmost importance that we reach out daily to talk to the ones we love. Research from the University of Cincinnati states that social connectedness can result in longevity, a stronger immune system, mental well-being, lower levels of stress, and an improved memory. The report suggests that social connections provide intellectual stimulation and emotional support during hardships. So although all of us are quarantining, we have to be sure not to isolate ourselves from the world. Number six, having non-digital family time. I know this can be really hard if you have preteens or teenagers in the house. However, research shows that the average cell phone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times per day. And in this COVID economy, unless you're watching puppies, the news that we're getting from Instagram, Facebook, or our feed is probably negative, which further impacts our emotional well-being. So if you can, commit to at least an hour a day for real family time with no cell phone. You can play a board game, make crafts, build a fort, host an ice cream social with your family, perform a play, go through family photos, that's my, that's my favorite, or bake treats to share with neighbors. The point is, spend quality time with your family each day, creating memories instead of just posting them. Number seven, giving back. Mother Teresa says, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. Mm, that's a powerful saying. And you don't have to be on the front lines or a mask maker to help others during this crisis. Whether big or small, an act of kindness can change your day. For my family and I, I like to say we're on pizza patrol. I started off by sending a large pizza to my local Aldi store, and each week I just thought of a different organization in my community that I wanted to let know I appreciate your commitment. And I know it made those, those 
all the employees feel super special, but believe it or not, it made me feel good too. Studies have shown that if you perform just one random act of kindness a day, you not only reduce your stress, anxiety, and depression, but your body is flooded with the same hormones that make you and that recipient feel calmer, healthier, and happier. As a family, you can bake cookies and drop it off to your neighbors with a note that says, having you as a neighbor is a sweet treat. Or make thinking of you cards and mail them to friends. The point is there is power in kindness. Most importantly, folks, remember, when stress comes your way, take a deep breath. Stop and say, Akuna Matata, because if you and your family are COVID free, you have much to be thankful for. So, and we're going to take a brief break and we'll be back with our next guest. Welcome back. Our next guest is Morgan Webke. She is the mother of three, Zoe, Oscar, and Ari. And Morgan has been homeschooling her children over the past seven years. And while I know most of us do not formally homeschool our children, Morgan is here to provide us with some tips and techniques to help our families achieve success during COVID. Welcome, Morgan. How are you today? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Oh, yes. I, oh, we're excited. We're excited. So, can you tell me why you started homeschooling your children? Absolutely. Uh, my oldest son started in the public school system. We lived in South Carolina at the time. Um, he went to kindergarten and first grade, started second grade. We had no problems. He loved it. He was a fantastic student, super happy. Um, he was, however, born with a condition called sensory processing disorder, and that manifests itself in a lot of ways. He really struggled with eating and required pretty extensive occupational therapy as a result to overcome his challenges. Uh, he hit a roadblock in second grade, and we really needed to focus on his therapy. Uh, however, his school was incredibly unwilling to work with us. Um, the wait list for appointments was 19 months long and we just didn't wow. make that happen. So after meeting with his teacher uh, and realizing that he was really testing five to eight grade levels above where he is, where he was at the time, uh, we made the executive decision to pull him out and really just focus on those therapies for the remainder of the second grade year and then send him back to public school in third grade when, when he was gonna be eligible for the gifted and talented program. Um, you know, we felt like we could sort of put the education in the back seat if you mm -hmm. focus on the rest of those things. Um, however, once we got him home, we recognized that this was such a wonderful opportunity and what ended up being a temporary solution to a very short-term problem became much more. And then that kind of spawned it from there. We pulled our other son out of pre-K and haven't looked back. That's great. So tell me, reading about homeschooling, even now in the COVID economy, researchers are toting the importance of 
establishing a routine. What does a routine look like in the WebKey household? Routines are critically important. You, you're told that even from birth, right? You know, the eating yes. schedules that you bring your baby home from the hospital on. And uh, so that really never goes away. And for us in our house, I am not a morning person. My kids are, however. <laughs> so we have it set up that they get up in the morning and they come downstairs and they make their own breakfasts. Uh, they have morning chores that they're responsible for. Uh, and they know that that's a thing every single day. So. They usually have their breakfasts done and the dishwasher unloaded and the kitchen swept before I'm even out of bed in the morning, uh, which is wonderful because they're raring to go and I'm just sort of dragging myself down. <laughs> but um, That is great. Yeah, um, so they're, they're ready to go. Um, they requested uh, what we call a command center where I have a, a dry erase sheet that I laminated and I can write out their to-do list every day. So they can look at that and know what they're responsible for and they really take ownership in their own education and it helps a lot. Yes, it does. And that's too funny, Morgan, that you um, referred to your command center because in our brown bag parenting education booklet, um, we talk about the importance of having just like that central location where everybody knows this is where book bags are, um, permission slips, money. So everyone is on the same page. So yeah. I agree that totally makes a difference. It's super easy to just temporarily transition that school command center to a homeschool command center. Um, each kid at our house has a little basket so I can put the books that they need to read in there and any craft supplies or games or anything else. Uh, it's super flexible. Absolutely, absolutely. So Morgan, how do you homeschool with children of different ages? That's a really common question that we get, and it can be mm -hmm. challenging. Um, I'm fortunate that the age spread of my kids is enough that my older kids can really help my youngest. Uh, you know, my oldest is 13. He's entering eighth grade. Mm -hmm. uh, huge help to his siblings. Uh, we sort of do what I call educational ping pong. So I'll get one child started with their lesson, and once they're working independently, I move on to the next get them started and going and then move on to the third. And then I'm sort of here to just float and cycle around and make sure everyone does what they need mm -hmm. um, and, and has the resources that they need at their fingertips. Uh, we also do a lot of combined learning. So, you know, I'll, my, my oldest son is doing world history right now and I do the reading aloud and the others listen in. And even though they're not completing the assignments that, that my oldest son completes, they're still hearing the lessons and we're still having the discussions. Uh, and I count that as, as education and learning, even though it's not technically part of their curriculum. Absolutely. And I love that idea of collaborating as a family to complete assignments and to learn. I think that's vitally important because a lot of families are struggling with that currently. Yeah, especially now that kids are home and a lot of parents are working yes. from home, you know, you can only spread yourself so thin. So really becoming a team and asking everybody to contribute to help each other, you know, that's it's a win for families. Absolutely. And that's how we that's how we can achieve greater success. So Morgan, you just mentioned parents are working from home, from home, children are working from home. Some parents take the attitude that they need to be the teacher, but what I'm hearing from you, however, is that it can be a very open um, 
process where the children are also involved in how they learn. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, I honestly don't advocate putting yourself into that teacher role. You're already mom, you know, you're already responsible for so many things about, about your household and how it runs. So putting yourself into that teacher role can almost kind of set you up for some pretty serious backlash from kids who are very used to learning happening in a very prescribed manner. So flipping that on its end and leaving it more open-ended where you have a discussion with your children and you find out what they're interested in and what they want to learn about and really make it collaborative, you're not going to get the pushback that you would get if you were making them sit at a table the same way they were sitting at a desk in a classroom and you're standing up there and sort of teaching to them. Um, that's not what they're used to. It's not what you're used to. And it's probably not going to go as well as you think it would. So really just having them take ownership and pride in the things that they're interested in and want to learn about can make it so rewarding. Absolutely, and takes a lot of pressure off both the parents and the children, especially for parents who are single parents and they're, they're still maintaining work. Obviously the children are at home mm -hmm. and trying to fit in the shoes of a teacher is just one cape ladies that we do not need to wear. Exactly. So, how can you determine your child's learning style? Because you talked about that briefly in that previous question. Yeah, my, my biggest tip of advice is to just spend a few days, maybe up to a week, really just observing your child, observe how they entertain themselves, um, you know, what kinds of things they're interested in. That's going to be the best indicator as to the type of learner that they are. If they're super hands-on or, you know, very kinesthetic, moving all around, they just, you know, they have energy, or if they're just more quiet and reserved and they can sit on the sofa with a book and bury themselves in it observing them and, and how they really entertain themselves is the best indicator. And then you can take that and really run with it. You know, if you have a child that's super active and needs to be moving and hands-on, they're not going to do well if you ask them to just go sit down and read something. Absolutely. Yes. So. Yes. So how can you accommodate your child's learning style? Like I, when I was growing up, I was a very kinesthetic learner. I didn't like to sit down. Um, I wanted to constantly be doing, my mom said that she should have put me in Montessori school. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there yeah. are so many different methods of schooling. You know, you mentioned Montessori. There's also, you know, there's a classical method, a Waldorf method. There's Charlotte Mason, which is, you know, literature based. Uh, and really knowing the kind of learner that your child is can sort of help direct your research at that point into finding materials that are going to meet their needs. Um, my kids are very, very motivated by nature and being outdoors. So we have no hesitations about packing up our materials and heading outside. Um, hey, that's a very interesting approach and one that you wouldn't get in a, a typical school setting. Absolutely. You know, if you have little ones that are, you know, they're learning the alphabet and the numbers, draw that with sidewalk chalk and have them hopscotch it and jump jump on the letters. They don't need to be sitting at a table looking at flashcards or filling out worksheets for that information to stick. So if you have a kid that needs that more physical approach, it's so easy to make that happen um, in, in very, 
very simple and no cost ways, you know, sidewalk chalk packs you can get at the dollar store. Oh, sure. Yes, our favorite place, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yep. So my daughter still, she knows her alphabet, she's seven now, but she still asks me to draw hopscotch letters on the sidewalk and just hops away all day long. And, and you can build on that too. You can turn it into spelling and, and early reading, you know, hop out a word, you know. I love that, Morgan, I love that. Um, so what advice would you give for parents who are at their wits end? We have now been shuttering in place for approximately nine weeks and they're like, I've had it. Yeah, it's, I think a lot of us are at that point and, you know, my biggest piece of advice would just be to, to take a step back, take a deep breath and relax. Um, I tell people all the time that there are no educational emergencies. You know, elementary school doesn't result in Harvard. You've got so much time. And in the scheme of our children's lives, this is a small blip. It feels huge now, but when we look back on it, it really is going to be a small blip of time. So nothing that you do right now is crucial to who they're going to end up being. So just take that pressure off of yourself, let them be, you know, let them explore their interests, which takes so much of the pressure off of us as parents. Um, they're probably going to remember that more than what they've learned from a book at this point anyway. So Exactly. Now is a perfect opportunity to create those memories. If you're like me, you were rushing to and from work and now you can just sit Finger mm -hmm. paint, like you said, go outside with chalk, blow bubbles. Yeah, cook meals together. Cook meals okay. together, yes. And that is definitely a learning opportunity. Very um, much. Children how to measure and math and fractions. So I agree. Yeah. Morgan, um, so what tips and techniques can you provide to parents? Oh my goodness, there are so many. This is something I could probably talk about for days and days. <laughs> okay. Uh, tips and techniques. Uh, I guess just, you know, once you've really spent that time observing your child and how they learn, um, dive into the internet and do some research and, and figure out, you know, Pinterest, it's sort of a love-hate thing, but um, I have a love obsession with Pinterest. You can type in anything and get so many ideas and the vast majority of them are things that you can do with stuff you already have at home. You know, I don't know about you guys, but we are not leaving our house really for anything at this point. So mm -hmm. anything that I can get my hands on to re repurpose it here at home, you know, we're saving food containers and reusing those to, you know, make bug jars to observe wildlife, um, mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff. Um, audiobooks has been a real big help right now. I find myself, you know, spread pretty thin. I've been making masks for the local community, um, which has taken away some of my time. So being able to set my kids up with, you know, hoopla through the library system yes. or audible um, has been fantastic. Actually, all of my kids are outside on the back patio listening to an audiobook right now while I do okay. this with you. So. Oh, that's a, that's a great suggestion. And just so you know, parents, Hoopla is free through the Delaware Division of Libraries. You only need to type in, set up account, and type in your library card number. Exactly. And if you don't have a library card currently, it's super easy to obtain one online. They've really made access much easier during this quarantine period. Yes. And actually, we're going to have a representative from the library on next week's podcast. So I'm excited about that as well. Oh, perfect. All right. So Morgan, summer's coming up, obviously, summer camps. Um, may not be available for most children. What do you and your family do during the summer? 
we are going to be spending a lot of time outside. Um, we have a little space in our backyard that we've sort of turned into an outdoor classroom. We have a picnic blanket that we take out with our books. Um, we do a lot of backyard bird watching. Uh, we have a creek in our neighborhood, so we can go explore that. Um, we like to camp, but mm -hmm. we don't really foresee a lot of that happening this summer, so we'll probably be sticking close to home here. Um, yeah, we've got um, nature, like I said, that's our big thing. We have adventure bags that we take out with magnifying glasses and binoculars. Um, that sounds fun. Yeah. And again, things that you could purchase relatively expensively, even if you just order them via Amazon. Yes. Amazon mm -hmm. actually has um, really fantastic, you know, starter binoculars for kids that are right around $5. Uh, and my oh. daughter loves it. Okay. And for our families that maybe living in a city or in apartments that may not have the backyard that you and your children have, how can they also enjoy the nature experience? Delaware is such a fantastic place for natural spaces. Um, all of the state parks have remained open, you know, throughout this pandemic, as long as you maintain social distancing. So, you know, pack up and drive out to, you know, White Clay Creek or Brandywine State Park. Um, Ashland Nature Center, part of the Delaware Nature Society system, is a wonderful place. They have a beautiful river that runs right through there. Uh, and they have a birding station with a bird blind you can go in. Um, I believe it's maybe $4 for a trail pass or you can get a membership. Um, I do think they have reinstituted those fees. Um, but again, the, the trail pass is so worth it because it's, it's stunning out there. They have a hawk watch hill where you can go up and have a vista to see everything. Um, so we pack a picnic and, and load up and drive out there. It's, it's really nice. There's Abbott Nature Center is part of the same thing that's downstate. Um, yeah, so any, any little city parks even are great to just head out and find some green space and park yourself. Any, that's right, and I agree. Brandywine State Creek Park is one of my favorites. It's just so peaceful and serene. And even for $4, Morgan, I think it, it's well worth it because you can pack up a lunch and just get outside of the house. And we all deserve um, some nature after, you know, staying at home for so long. Yeah, absolutely. Um, DuPont Environmental Education Center in downtown Wilmington. Oh, in downtown Wilmington, yes. Resource. Um, they have dip netting in the marsh there, uh, and that's free. Mm -hmm. You don't have a membership. I believe that's at 2 p.m. on weekdays. I don't know how that is being impacted by COVID right now, but you can buy dip nets at the dollar store and do it yourself. Uh, you just dunk it in and see what you pull up and, you know, take pictures with your phone and then go home and try to identify what you have found. Um, my kids have learned so much ecology uh, and they now know about, you know, indicator species just from things that they've pulled up in our backyard creek or down there at DuPont, so. Morgan, I love that. And I really appreciate you um, making it easy for folks that may be under-resourced that they too can provide these children, provide their children and their families with these experiences. Mm -hmm. They can look back on COVID and say, yeah, a lot was going on in the world, but this is what we did as a family. So thank you so much for your time and expertise. Thank you sure. for joining Brown Bag Parenting webinar and we'll see you next week. Thank you.